0: G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost sixty kilograms or one hundred and thirty-two pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and have successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about. What are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle? In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway, enjoy the show. G'day, and this is episode 177, brought to you by our Patreon community. Our Patreon community started a couple of weeks ago, as you know. Uh, what that's about is I often get asked, how do we support the podcast, Graham? How do we help you with the cost? How do we help you with the work that you do for your advocacy in the intermittent fasting community? How do we help you make differences in people's lives right around the world? Well, you can do that now by supporting with a small pledge each month in our Patreon community, uh, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash The Fasting Highway. Uh, the links there in the show notes of the information. And we'd really appreciate it if you love this podcast and you've been a long-term follower and you've got something from it and you'd like to give something back and come and join us in that Patreon community. That would be fantastic. And there's lots of extra benefits that we have, bonus episodes, uh, webinars, online Zoom coffee catch-up meetings with our Patreon members. So a lot of fun as well for people that do join and that will get something back for their support. And just a note too, we just wanted to thank our members this week, uh, Judy, Dale, Sarah, PJ, Dominique, uh, Therese, Janelle, Martin, Benoit, Kelsey, Anne, Kathy, Susan, and all the rest of our members as we mentioned last week. uh, Thank you so much. Okay, folks, let's get on with our today's podcast. And we're going to be speaking with two amazing sisters, as I mentioned, from Dunedin, New Zealand. And I speak of Hannah and Abby Chamberlain. And they're both in their mid-20s, and they work in local government. And Abby found the intermittent fasting lifestyle back in March 2021, but was somewhat inconsistent. Things got easier once she got her sister Hannah on board about a year later, and after a stint of complete doubt that skipping any meal would ever work, Hannah quickly found that not only was skipping a meal possible, it came with a wide array of benefits and was much easier than anticipated. And it's actually their mum that put them on to intermittent fasting by giving them a couple of books, including my own, *The Fasting Highway*, as you'll hear about in this podcast. But without any further ado, I won't spoil the story for you. Here's Hannah and Abby Chamberlain. Oh, g'day, Abby and Hannah, and welcome to *The Fasting Highway*. And thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having us, Graham.
2: Really nice to nice to be invited on here to share our story. Yeah, really excited to have a chat. Yeah, thanks.
0: Great to have you all the way there from Dunedin in New Zealand, and um, and as we heard in the intro there, you're sisters, and um, so we might start with you first, Abby, and if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit of detail about your backstory and how you got your way to intermittent fasting and just about what's sort of been going on with over the past sort of couple of years there.
1: Yeah, so I am 26 years old and have always kind of struggled with my weight and not looking the way that everybody else in my friend group and other people around me looked and so I've always kind of been a bit bigger and then over the years especially like during my early adulthood I started to notice it a lot more and it was difficult to find clothes that I wanted to wear that looked good and then when I was so I lived overseas for a year and while I was there obviously had the university culture of drinking and partying and all of that kind of stuff and while I was over there, I did lose, lose quite a lot of weight, but not, substa- not, sus- not sustainably. And then I came back. So I was, I think, 89 kgs when I came back from um, Germany like six, seven years ago. And then that was kind of my lowest uh, that I remember of late. And then carrying on a few years, got to my highest, which would have been November 2020 which was 108.3 kgs, which was pretty scary for me. Like I remember the first day I got on the scale and was over 100 kgs. It was um, a pretty, pretty difficult thing to kind of deal with. Um, But yeah, I went through varying phases of wanting to lose weight. So for one of my friend's weddings and I was, uh, I started running. So I was, I signed up for for a 10K race. And so I ran that and then I got really, invested in running and so I was doing that and then working with some of my colleagues on whatever they were doing so we did a few of the the like diet like six week course kind of things I did find those really difficult because it was really prescriptive on what you were eating it was like you must eat this for breakfast and you must eat this for lunch and you must eat this for dinner and having been someone who had never really eaten breakfast I don't even remember probably before 15 was the last time that I remember regularly eating breakfast. So I was never really into it. And then being forced in these diets to actually eat breakfast, I remember feeling really ill. And I'm like, no, but I have to lo- I have to do this because this is how i meant to lose weight. I have to eat these meals. People tell me to. And so I would have success in those and lose a couple of kilos or three or four kilos over the like six-week period and think that's gone really well. And then that would end and then you would kind of gain the weight back and it was just wasn't going very well um but a few months later a couple months later our mum actually recommended a book to us which was uh, a life less sugar so she had she'd been to her doctor to talk about talk about some things and they'd recommended this book to her and so she'd read it and then told us to read it and we did that and it was like oh this is really insightful um And then I think she was in a Facebook page that, like a Facebook group for that book. And then in there, they recommended your book. And she said, our mum said to us, hey, maybe you guys should look at this. And so I went, oh, yeah. And so I bought it online and read it and just immediately went, I think this is it. Which was (laughs) quite exciting. Um, But then, obviously, it was like March, I think. And I downloaded like a fasting app so that I could keep track of the hours and what I was doing. But I found that I dove in dove in a bit early or a bit bit too hard too fast and not having any support. Like I tried to go straight to 23-1 as my fasting protocol, but I would well in, in the initial term I was dirty fasting. So I was having I don't dirty fasting isn't really a thing, but <laughs> I was having milk in my coffee. And then I was getting really annoyed because I was really hungry and I didn't understand the correlation between like, the calories and the milk making you want more food. Um, but yeah, things got easier once I kind of discovered black coffee actually fixes that. But yeah, it was, it was weird being on the journey kind of back then because it wasn't something that I was really openly talking about with people, not um, when I was kind of at my higher weight and then... Um, yeah, like I wasn't talking to people outside of like my direct family about it. So I didn't really have a, a good support network around me. and It was kind of like everybody's still going out for lunch and drinks and all of that kind of stuff. And so I fell off the bandwagon a few times, but then I decided, it must have been a couple of months later that I was going to actually commit. And even if I could only do 18 hours or eventually get to 20 hours, then I was doing better than what I had been doing, which was really good. And I think In the initial term, once I started to really focus on it, even just getting to 18 or 19 hours, I found that I was losing weight and it didn't really matter what I was eating in those times. If I was eating takeaways, if I was eating quick or carbs or whatever, I was still losing weight, which was really good. Um, After a while, that kind of plateaued and then I got settled more into OMAD, um, which was really good for me, that one meal a day like settling coming home from work having like a having a snack of some description nuts or something and then having that main meal um so yeah I'd been doing that for what maybe four months by the time Hannah started yeah and so that's kind of once yeah after after about four months of that then Hannah and I jumped on the bandwagon together and then never looked back I guess (laughs)
0: fantastic yeah. So just tell me there, Abby, you mentioned there that your high weight was up around 108 kegs. Um, for our North American listeners there, around the 240 pound mark. And of, so you've been doing this now for around two years, just over yep. two years. Yeah. And so where are you at now with your weight?
1: Um, as of this morning, I am 87.8 kgs.
0: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So you've lost yep. nearly 44, you know, 40 odd sort of pounds so to speak and that's incredible and um yeah, yeah feeling- so let's talk to you now Hannah and I know you started a bit behind and you had a reason for that and you're going to tell us and I want to hear all the gossip about that Any sort of to's and fro's and arguments you had between the sisters about it but how did you get going obviously through your sister's example I take it and sort of where you're at now and, and just tell us about where you were with your weight and a bit of your back history and that sort of thing
2: yeah absolutely um so I might start just at the beginning with my weight journey I'd keep it in chronological order but um yeah so I also struggled with my weight like growing up as well and um yeah grew up not really understanding exactly how you could actually maintain a healthy weight and not really understanding why I was a different size to the people around me and I always thought it was maybe exercise was the answer um but yeah so struggled with that all the way through university and then so the last sort of like big thing I tried to do to lose weight uh, was in my final year of uni and um, I went to this really cool gym uh, at the time and I did their nutrition plan and so the gym part was really cool and the community was amazing but unfortunately the nutrition plan was something that just didn't suit me and it wasn't sustainable so it was definitely the restricted calories, eating little and often Um, and yeah and so I lost about probably 25 kilos during that year and then sadly, after that, I gained it all back and then some more um, over the next, must have been almost a year. And yeah, it's so hard because it's like almost like I blacked out over that time. Like, I don't even know what happened there. But um, yeah, and then the next couple of years, my weight went up again. And then so I got to my highest at about 119 kilos. Um, yeah. And so that's when around the time when we found that book, A Lifeless Sugar, that mum showed us. And that was really good. And that got me started with the weight loss again. Um, Yeah. And then I got to a point where I was about 107 kilos and that was just before the intermittent fasting. And so the last few months before then, I'd sort of seen Abby having some success, but I was also really skeptical because I thought, oh, is this just another diet like I've done before? Like that other one I did where maybe it's really good at the start, but then you just gain everything back again. And I was also thinking that like, if I didn't eat breakfast or I didn't eat lunch, that I was gonna have no energy and I wouldn't be able to work. And I just thought there's no way I can get past just that being hungry. And I don't know, I've always been one of those people who gets quite hangry if I haven't eaten. Well, I used to be anyway. Um, And so I thought there's no way I can just cope without eating, but um, yeah. But then I got to a point where I was at a plateau with my weight, with my reduced sugar eating. And I was just so frustrated and I thought maybe I should just give it a go. I mean, it works for Abby, so I just gave it a go. And then that real turning point for me actually was, Abby was like to me one day, she, was, she said, you don't actually have to do what I do. She was like, you can actually just start by skipping breakfast. She's like, you can do the 16-8 protocol. So fasting 16 hours and eating eight hours. And I don't know why it had never occurred to me that I could just skip breakfast to start. Um, yeah, and then so then I read your book, which was amazing and it made total sense. And from that afternoon where I started reading your book, I was like, okay, that's it, I'm going to do this. And yeah, and then so I've never really looked back and then, um, yeah, it took me probably a couple of weeks and then I realised, yeah, this feels sustainable. I think this is actually how you do it. And like, because I could... I just felt like I wasn't deprived of anything whereas on all the other diets and stuff you always feel like you're missing out on something but I was finding that even though I was still eating pretty much the same food I was losing weight and it was just changing that time of day that I was eating and I was like yeah it just feels easy so yeah and then over the last year I've sort of um, transitioned more into the longer fast so I went to like I think 18, 18, six windows and then eventually sort of 19, five and then a few longer fasts. And then, yeah. And then now in the last couple of months I'm into the one meal a day, the OMAD as well. And I'm feeling like that's actually really good for weight loss at the moment. That sort of like kickstarted things off um, a bit faster again. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And just, yeah, really happy with how it's going.
0: Fantastic. And just tell us where are at with your weight now?
2: Yeah. So uh, as of this morning, I am 88.8 kilos. So,
0: Wow. Yeah, so that's amazing. Have- Some 30 kilos, something like that. 60 odd pounds, 64 pounds. That's crazy. So between you, you've lost about over 50 kilos. as two sisters. Some people might not even recognize you now when you walk down the street. And I think that's incredible. But Abby, we'll go back to you and we'll just ask you a couple of other questions. So when you first started, And when you first heard about intermittent fasting after you read my book, The Fasting Highway, and and Amanda's book there, um, A Life Less Sugar, and Amanda J. Tiffin, an amazing woman, a good friend of mine, and uh, that was a great book to get me kick-started as well on my journey to life less sugar. It certainly sort of gave me an insight into how sugar was so damaging to our health and and really uncontrollable for our weight. And once I actually learned about what was in sugar, and it was in Amanda's book that I first saw all those tables, and I was looking at tomato sauce, baked beans, you know, things we all grew up with as kiwis, right? And then you look through the sugar content, you go, oh, my God, one can of baked beans is like five teaspoons of sugar in this thing. No wonder I'm the size I was. I used to eat baked beans like no tomorrow, right? Tomato sauce on everything. And, you know, after I read Amanda's book, I thought this is my issue. My wife actually bought it at an airport and I picked it up at a later date, as you probably heard me talk about before. But, yeah, I mean, so, Abby, was there any real struggles when you first started or something that you were missing, like, you know, or you you mentioned some social stuff that you're a social person? Did you miss any of that?
1: Yeah, I think it was quite hard like in the in the work environment. So we, I used to work in a, in a really high stress environment and we as a team were really close and we'd always do stuff together. So it would be like going out of the office to get coffee or cake or go out for lunch and that kind of stuff. And I found kind of the social pressures to do that was quite a lot when I wasn't talking about intermittent fasting with anyone. I I don't know how long it took me to start telling people it was maybe like three or four months before I actually started telling people what I was doing and and then my team was really supportive and and once they knew that we kind of like adapted our plans and if we wanted to go out and do something we'd do like afternoon tea or, or something else just to make it a little bit easier and fit better into into my plan but I think the I think the hardest bit about it was yeah the um the social aspect with with the seat with it's not that it was a secret but I just wasn't being open about it because um, as, as every person who's been overweight knows it's a really uncomfortable topic to even discuss with someone what your diet is let alone why you're doing it like when you're trying to lose weight so I didn't want to broach the conversation to admit that I was overweight and having other people acknowledge that so yeah just kind of that kind of situation and then obviously being at being a young adult in my 20s working it around the social sphere from that end so going out for dinner going out for drinks all of that kind of stuff with all your friends and so it was just balancing what that looked like in terms of fasting and how it looked especially like the morning after drinking everybody's always yeah let's go to McDonald's and that that kind of thing so just learning how to learning how to balance that but it got it got a lot easier as the months went on um which was really nice and more people understood and yeah.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I think, you know, in yourself, living in the, one of the biggest party towns in New Zealand, as well as a young person, that would have been hard. You know, the university life down there and that town rocks. I haven't been there myself, but I've had plenty of mates to go there and they say it's an amazing place in New Zealand to go if you want to party and you can party hard there. So I guess that was difficult too. But Hannah, we might go to you now. And sort of when you mentioned that scepticism, when I first heard about intermittent fasting, I thought it was crazy, right? I thought it was bat dung crazy. I thought, who does that? What sort of weirdos do that? Is this like a special cult? I mean, what is this all about? Who eats once a day? I'm a guy who eats 40 times a day. That's never going to happen. What was the skepticism and why did you think that? And was there ever a clash with your sister where you said, you know, that's not going to work or, you know, I don't want to do that. What are you doing? Or was there any of those sorts of thoughts or was it when you finally saw the results um, from Abby, that you thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think my scepticism really came from um, that classic, what we've been taught for the last however many years, is that to lose weight, you need to be eating small meals all the time because you need to have your metabolism ramped up. And if you're not eating, then your metabolism is going to die and then you won't ever lose weight. Um And then, so that's what I'd been taught through my previous weight loss experience. And yeah, so that's just where I was coming from with that. And then absolutely, when I saw Abby do it at the start and I was thinking, that's crazy, that's crazy. And I'm sure I actually said to you as well, I was like, there's no way I could skip meals like that. Like, maybe you can do it, but there's no way I could do it. Like, I'm just not that person. It won't work for me. Um, But yeah, I think... um, just seeing Abby quietly work away at it and she just didn't give up and then she sort of made it look easy as well and then yeah and then it was just a combination of then getting so frustrated with the stuff that I was doing wasn't working anymore and I was like well I've tried everything I know how to do now
1: so maybe this is my last shot you know and then yeah yeah I think I remember as well with Hannah before she started the whole conversation of drinking black coffee uh, we, we did get into quite a heated debate over it because Hannah, Hannah loves wee flat white uh, yes. and, the, and the idea of drinking any form of coffee without milk just seemed absolutely heinous and why would anyone do that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we did have the conversation around fasting's a lot easier when you don't have milk in your coffee for obvious reasons um, and how you actually get used to it and you, you, you are very different with your black coffee now, aren't you?
2: Yes. Yeah. I actually, I love my black coffee now. Yeah. That's so true. I'd almost forgotten about that. How it took me, yeah, it took me a little while to get used to the black coffee. But yeah, I'm a religious black coffee person now, like during the fast. Like I just love it. And And we do decaf when
1: we're, if it's after midday, we're on the decaf black coffee. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now you've joined up, you know, with your sister doing this. Hannah, do you find that it's much easier when you're both doing it? You're living in the same house there down there in Dunedin. And do you find actually intermittent fasting, you both work well together? Is it a similar sort of time frame, your windows, or you're totally different now, or what are you doing?
2: Yeah, so definitely it works so well living together and intermittent fasting together. Um, we do keep pretty similar windows. Like these days, most of the time, yeah, we start eating after work and then we'll cook dinner together, which is really good. And on the weekends, like we might be a little bit more relaxed on the weekends but then we'll wait to a certain time of the day and then be like okay now we're gonna eat um and that's really good it's really motivating and it's so much easier to not eat when you know that you've got like a buddy who's also doing it and they understand it and they understand why and yeah it's worked really well
1: i think it's good as well because we're quite we're we're routine girls and so we get up in the morning and we weigh ourselves and we always have the little oh how'd you go today like every single day. And then we'll get up and we'll go to the gym or we'll go for a walk and then we'll come back and get ready for work. And then because we work because we work at the same place, we don't work in the same team, but we work in the same building, so we'll go for lunch together. But our version of lunch is a bit different than our colleagues probably, where we'll go and we'll either make our own coffee and go for a walk or sit in the park or we'll go into town and go to a cafe and just get a wee coffee. But yeah. We, yeah it's, it makes it really easy but then sometimes we do fall into the bandwagon of one of us is having a rough day someone's having a rough day and they're just like, I just need to eat today and then the other one will be like oh no nah, well <laughs> twist my arm and then and then we'll have a wee eating day we we'll, we'll always call them eating days um, yeah. but it, again it, it just doesn't matter like because we've usually done 18 hours by that point anyway so it's just a slightly shorter fast than usual and one day is not really going to make you fall off the bandwagon so
0: and those morning weigh-ins, is there a bit of sibling rivalry there when somebody says, hey, I'm down 300 grams, and the other person goes, well, I'm actually up 400. What did we have last night? What did you do that I didn't do? You sort of Do you ever have those sort of conversations? It'd be quite funny, I'd imagine.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the worst is exactly like that, to be honest. I think we try really hard not to make it a competition because we're both, like, both doing amazing, amazing things. But um, yeah, some days it is a bit like that, and you'll be like, a bit frustrating we're like oh well, why didn't I lose weight this morning and
1: yeah but it is quite funny and it's time um, I actually quite enjoy that wee part of the morning eh yeah it's also funny now that we're like almost the same weight so there's only like one kg between us um yeah just just seeing what it is and it's like oh we're only 600 grams different today Yeah, <laughs> but yeah no it's 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 interesting but I used to be we used to do the weekly weigh-ins but then I'd find that I'd get I'd get really upset if I'd gained weight, but yeah, it works much better doing it day by day. Um, yeah. And then it's not such like a, a shock to the system on the old Thursday morning, but yeah, I find I'm much less afraid of the scale doing it that way.
0: Yeah, let's just wind back and talk about your reading windows when you first started, Abby. And sort of, you mentioned there, Hannah, that you were sort of eating much the same things that you were normally eating. You were just delaying in the day to when you were eating it. So, what about you, Abby? Tell us about what you were sort of eating pre IF to what you do now. And I'll ask you both this question in a minute: Have your tastes changed and that sort of thing over the time?
1: Yeah. So I think before IF, like we had pretty healthy, like pretty healthy diets by normal standards. I think the there was probably a bit much sugar in terms of we'd have a few biscuits after dinner and that kind of thing. But I guess compared to a lot of people that we know, our diets were probably quite, quite good. Um, There's the odd takeaway, like once a fortnight or whatever. But then once I started IF, I I got really conscious of what I was eating in my window. Because when you're only eating one meal a day, I'm like, oh, have I had enough vegetables? Have I had enough fruit? Have I had enough protein? And so I got really big on like always having eggs in the house because enjoy a wheat egg sandwich um but yeah just to make sure that I've got that protein so yeah that's much much the same now and that yeah always on hand I'll have like eggs a can of tuna and nuts and so like that's always easy go-to snacks for me but I really really notice it when I've eaten something that is not high in nutritional value so like if I have fish and chips for dinner then I'll feel really average the next day I won't have enough energy and I'll just feel really flat Um, and so even now if we're like getting fish and chips or something we're like what can we have with this that will have a vegetable in it or like we know that yeah just kind of kind of that's that kind of stuff where previously you wouldn't think about it because whatever else you might be eating in the day would probably make up for the lost nutrition that you would have from that one meal being deficient. But if your one meal is takeaways, then that's a little bit more challenging. But yeah, I think we do eat a lot less takeaways now than what we used to. Um, I, I think that really is the reason is the nutritional factor because it's not really so much about the money or the convenience. It's just that, I'm not going to get the right nutrition from a pizza. So $5 versus having to cook a meal is actually not worth it because it's going to make me feel very bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's working out those trigger foods, isn't it, that make you feel like that. And after a while, you sort of go away from them because you think, well, I don't want to feel like that. I want to feel great. And I always say to people, I eat what makes me feel my greatest, not what my mind wants, because my mind wants kiwi fish and chips, talking about it. I love kiwi fish and chips. Every time I go back to New Zealand, it's one of my beelines. But, you know, and I say to people all the time, it's really a case of just thinking about why did we get to this place? Why did we have all this weight on our bodies? What was doing that? What were we doing before to what we're doing now to reverse that? And the answer lies in the eating window most of the time. And I think over time, you do gravitate towards that higher quality food. And I think, like you said, you sort of stop and you think, and I always call it the pause. I always have that pause where I think, you know what? instead of going and do that, I'm going to go and just cook something, you know, and just have that a nice, healthy meal. And I think that's really great. So for you, Hannah, have your taste changed with food, do you think? Do you sort of mention when you started, you were sort of eating all the same things. Has that changed in time? Or do you think that's going to change for you in the future?
2: Yeah, it's definitely changed over time. Um, so at the start, I was eating just, yeah, a lot of the same things. Um, but then particularly at the start, when I was still doing, two meals a day when I was having lunch, um, I really started noticing having a massive sugar crash after lunch. And then I would go back to work in the afternoons and be so sleepy. And then so I was thinking, well, what have I actually eaten that's made me feel like that? And I realised it was when I'd had something that was maybe a a bit high in carbs and, like, not really any vegetables or anything. And then that's what really got me thinking about, like, what I was eating. And then, yeah, and over time I had that same realisation as Abby is – like if you don't eat the good nutritional food today then tomorrow you're not going to feel that good and yeah over time that's just gotten stronger and I really enjoy thinking about what I'm going to eat now and yeah absolutely every meal I'm thinking about like am I getting what I need from this meal is it going to make me feel good and yeah definitely making sure I'm eating enough vegetables and protein and yeah it's absolutely changed and yeah I really I really like that
0: yeah, I'm thinking it's just making that window worthy, isn't it? And that's what I say to everybody, you know, trying to make it as worthy as possible. But it's like when I eat Chinese food, right? I love Chinese food. But when I eat it, I get really restless at night. I can't sleep. I roll around. And I don't feel that great, even though at the time I like it. And I think after a while you sort of learn with those foods, like you mentioned about the fish and chips there, Abby. You know, you you had that, that greasy sort of food, and then you think, wow, I don't feel that great. It was good at the time, it looked fantastic and all the rest of it smelled amazing. But yeah, that's a real sort of process, I think. But exercise for you too. Abby, exercise a big part of your your day.
1: Yeah. So for me, before I started my fasting journey, I had just become, become a runner for the first time in my life. So after signing up to do a 10K and then training for that really religiously. Um, and so I ran that 10K and it was great. And then I was like, sweet, I'm going to sign up and run a half marathon. So I'd actually signed up to run the Great Ocean Road half marathon in Australia and I was doing that with a friend of mine who lived in Melbourne and so I was like yeah I'm gonna train for this and I was training really hard for it and I at the time I was like I'm at my like peak peak physical fitness like I I run seven k's a day I I eat healthy I well healthy um yeah I I don't understand why I'm not losing any weight because I did think that maybe my not lack of exercise, but more exercise would help me lose weight. And even though I was physically at my fittest compared to all the years prior, I still wasn't losing any weight, which was really frustrating. Um, I did suffer an injury on like marathon day. So that marathon got cancelled due to COVID. Um, And then they ended up doing it virtually. So I ran the virtual one in Dunedin and got 7Ks in and then suffered an injury and ended up in hospital. And then I stopped running. Um, I had I had to stop running for over a year because of that injury and went to a sports doctor and that kind of stuff but at that time is when I found intermittent fasting um, and then with that there's a lot of there's a lot of content online and people talking about their routines and stuff but Hannah and I somehow fell into the into the let's do 10,000 steps a day kind of thing and so once we started doing that that was quite good but yeah we we didn't always live together but once we started living together again it was a lot easier to go through and do yes how we're we going to get our ten thousand steps today let's go for a walk in the morning let's go to the gym let's do this let's go for a walk at lunch all of that kind of stuff um so for us well for me personally now I find I am really um antsy if I don't do any exercise, and because our routine is that we do our exercise in the morning, I am really uncomfortable all morning at work if I haven't gone for a walk or gone to the gym. Because um, yeah, our 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 gym is like a one kilometer walk from our house at the moment, so it's like a two k walk to and from the gym plus whatever you do at the gym. And then yeah, I'm really antsy at work if I don't go for a walk in the morning, and so we'll supplement that by going for a walk at lunch at work, which is fine. But yeah, I find really uncomfortable. Like if I'm away for the weekend, like at our parents' house, I'll always try and take the dog for a walk or something because they live in a farm and it's not quite the same as just like going for a quick walk to the shops or whatever like you do when you live in a city because it's easy to get your steps. But when you live in the middle of nowhere, it's kind of hard to force yourself to go outside. Um, and so, yeah, I always find that a little bit tricky because I feel, feel a bit lazier on the weekends. But yeah, during the, during the week, it's always... Very good. But yes, definitely routine exercise, girls. That's us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you some like Hannah?
2: Yeah, yeah. And for me, like the exercise actually started um, a couple of years before I even started intermittent fasting. So when I first started my weight loss journey, um, like with the low sugar, um, at the same time, um, I started introducing my morning walks. And at the time as well, I'd, um, I'd read the book by Mel Robbins, the five second rule book. And she talked about the importance of um, setting up your routine in the morning and um, how good exercise can be. And so that sort of inspired me to get started there and get started with the aiming for 10,000 steps, which I found really helpful. And um, I think, I think it did help with weight loss as well, but the main thing for exercise with me is really is mental health. And I just feel so much better when I'm doing that consistent exercise and my moods are so much more stable and I just feel so much more confident and ready to face the day if I've done my exercise in the morning as well. And yeah, I just think it just sets you up for a really good day when you do it in the morning. And I, yeah, I love that part of my day as well. Um, Yeah. And it, it definitely works in well for intermittent fasting, I think too, because like when you're not eating during the first part of the day, you have to fill your day with other stuff that's not food, like other stuff that you enjoy as well. And yeah, I
0: think exercise is really good for that too. Yeah, instead of having a breakfast, go for a walk. Why not? Yeah, I, um, I, I like to walk three Ks a day myself. And um, I always feel amazing when I come back. When I don't do it, and like you were saying there, Abby, you sort of get a bit antsy. You think, oh man, I should have been out there doing that. You know, I'd feel so much better for it. And I think feeling good is feeling great. And, you know, when you do feel good, you want to do it. You want to get out there. But, you know, when you're overweight, you, you know, you guys were... 20 odd kilos overweight or 15 kilos overweight, you sort of don't feel like doing it then. But when you actually get into a sort of, you know, physical condition that you feel like doing it, it becomes so more joyful. And I could see that in you. And you both appear to me be very outgoing people and very joyful. But, you know, for your mental side of things, how has this changed your social life? I mean, you're a young woman, 26 and 28. We'll start with you, Abby. Your social life and the way you are and how you interact with people. And just, you know, have you, do you find you've got more confidence now and you're able to wear the clothes you want and go to the things you want and feel confident about that? How do you feel like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of last year, one of my, I was bridesmaid for one of my best friends. So we went over to the United States for their wedding in New Orleans. Um, and I had to order my dress online in April and I was really worried about ordering my dress. And I was like, I'll order it in the size smaller so then because I'll be like I'll lose weight before then anyway because I was already fasting I was like, I'll lose weight before then I'll order it the size smaller and I was a bit worried about that because I was like oh I don't know how that's going to go and then I remember getting over to like Mississippi and picking up my dress and they had to take it in because the dress was the dress was too big and that was like a real that was like a wow kind of moment because I was worried when I ordered it I was like how am I going to fit this dress um and then to get over there and for them to be like this is actually way too big because they were going to take it up anyway but they needed to take it in before the wedding and I was like wow that's nice but yeah just I think going over to America there was there was a whole bunch of things there which was like um sitting on the plane I felt a lot less big than I had before because I've traveled I've traveled a lot like I used to live in Europe and do do all of that kind of stuff and you're always traveling on planes as you've mentioned in the past Graham is an absolute nightmare and we, we were never big enough to need seatbelt extenders but you did feel yourself taking up more space and that wasn't the case when we went to America this time and then yeah just having choices and the clothes that I wanted to wear like being able to go into almost any shop and try on something and it fits and especially now like even Last weekend, or the weekend before, we were in Queenstown just trying on stuff. and having clothes be too big, um, that's that's a real first. Like nice clothes that I've just picked up the bigger size automatically, and now it's and now it's too too big. Um, yeah. And buying Wait. fitted clothing, which is which I'm not used to. We're always used to buying the kind of baggy clothing, which kind of hides everything. But now that's now that's not the case, and I'm much more confident to wear. Stuff that shows off my figure a little bit more, and yeah, it's I don't know, it feels very like freeing to be a more normal size.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, and um, I mean, travel—it's so much easier. It's so much easier. There are people that have never been really big or been a big size traveling on planes that are designed for very small people. It can be very debilitating, demoralizing—you name it—all those things. It can make you anxious. And it's a horrible experience for a lot of us that have had to carry that weight. And when you're not that size and you get on, and I've told that story before, when I first sat on a plane, when I first lost a sort of 60 kilos, and I remember tears rolling down my face and everyone's looking at me thinking, oh, he must've left his long lost girlfriend back there. was No, it was just the fact that I could sit in the seat so comfortably. And it was just such an emotional impact, picking up a clothes size that didn't have all the X's on the shirt collar anymore trying on a large shirt and it fitted me and I was just overblown by it. I just absolutely blown away I just stood in the change room just again tears rolling down my face Graham Curry in a large shirt I've worn triple x four x five x shirts my whole adult life and here I am in a large shirt so it's those moments that might not mean much to anybody else but to people that sort of have them it's amazing and what about you Hannah those sorts of moments come for you too
2: yeah absolutely um yeah, I've definitely found I've gained so much more confidence over the last year, and it is so nice to be able to start choosing the kind of clothes and the kind of style that I want to wear, and like building a work wardrobe that I'm excited to wear in the morning, and it's, it's stuff that I've chosen and not just stuff that I had to wear because it's the only thing that fitted. Um, that's been really cool, and yeah definitely and like that was such a huge thing like last weekend or was it the weekend before going to Queenstown and and buying my ski pants to wear this this winter and like the last few years there's no way I would have fitted into any of the pants in the store and then this year to get the exact sort of style of pants that I was looking for I was just so over the moon it was it was so cool yeah and I'm really excited for skiing as well this winter to I don't know just be even more confident on the slopes and yeah, just getting just getting more joy out of everything, really, I
0: think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of joy, I just wanted to pause and mention your mum there. I mean, your mum obviously was a big catalyst for you and sharing those books with you, the Life Less Sugar and my own book, The Fasting Highway. And I can't imagine how proud she is of both of you. She must be absolutely over the moon. And it was just Mother's Day a couple of days there ago in New Zealand and Australia. So happy Mum's Day to your mother there. And you've raised two amazing daughters and and sort of, you know, and doing it this age, I always say to people, if you can not go through your life as an obese person, your life is going to be so much more joyous, so much more better. You've got everything to look ahead. Travel, you know, children, all those things you've got to look ahead to, taking your kids to school and not feeling out of place. Because I talked about this before, as an obese parent, it was really hard for me. I used to always feel really embarrassed with my girls at school because you know, all the other kids were mean to them and that sort of thing. But, you know, kids can be mean and they say things that, you know, they've got no filter, right? So, and I always felt like my girls, even though they never said that they were ashamed of me or embarrassed of me, and they still say that now. But, you know, I think when you're not obese as a parent, it's so much easier. So I think you both set yourself up for not only, you know, a great life ahead, but I congratulate you both for doing it so young. And I can't imagine... Abby, just how proud your parents are of both of you?
1: Yeah, it's it's really nice to see. So, mum, yeah, mum saw saw all of this, all of this information, the books and stuff first, and so she's kind of been leading the way in terms of her like her weight loss. And then once we kind of committed to doing intermittent fasting, she paid a little bit more attention to what it was and what it looked like for us. And even though she doesn't strictly follow intermittent fasting. She still doesn't usually eat before lunch, and she always has black coffee and all of all of that kind of stuff. And so she's she's looking amazing and feeling amazing as well. But it's really nice to see your family, and everyone's just always like, "Wow, you look amazing!" And then like seeing our extended family members who we don't see that often, and every time you see them, it's like another one of those reactions because every time you see them, you do look really different. It's um, it's really nice. Our um, we're trying to convince more people in our family to do it <laughs> by staking. It's taking a little bit more uh, coaxing, but we're hoping to lead by example. There's a few, there's a few hurdles with convincing other people. So we've got a family of people who work in physical labour, so farming and tradesmen. So they're always the, of the whole. We need energy. How do we get energy? And I'm just not quite sure I have all the answers for that.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, well, I mean, intermittent fasting is becoming more widely known there in New Zealand, thanks to some of the great work being done by Sarah Cull and her group down under there. You know, treating people with type 2 diabetes and the frontline defense of intermittent fasting. Just amazing the work Sarah is doing in that clinic in South Auckland. And do you hear much about intermittent fasting in New Zealand in the mainstream media or or that sort of space?
2: Well, I think I'm not sure how mainstream it's getting, but like I've definitely noticed, like um, talking to people at work, lots of people know someone who's doing it. So like it is starting to filter through that way. And then definitely some doctors are on board as well. So I had an amazing doctor the last few years and he was really excited about me doing intermittent fasting. And so he said he'd had colleagues who'd had great success with it. And yeah, and so like what was really exciting as well was the blood test that I've done. Um, And so I'm hoping lots of other people were having this as well with their doctors. But like in particular, the, the glycated hemoglobin which is what what's that? Is it the H B HBA1C? And so that's from what I understand, that's what they use as an indicator if you're at risk of going into pre-diabetes. And so at my highest weight, I was quite at the top of what my doctor thought was the normal range, which is like between 20 and 40, I think it's millimoles per mole. Um so I was at 37 then. And then what was really interesting was that like That first year when I'd lost about 10 kilos, my doctor was really happy with that, but I was looking at the results this week and my glycated hemoglobin didn't change at all. So my risk factor for prediabetes didn't change even though I'd lost heaps of weight. And then the next year, I'd started fasting for a couple of months before my next blood test and I'd only lost like maybe five kilos over that year. But with that couple of months of intermittent fasting, my glycated hemoglobin had actually gone down and that round of blood tests, my doctor was really excited about. And that was really cool. And then this year, it's gone down again as well after a full year of intermittent fasting. So yeah, I'm hoping that the message is getting out through that way through doctors and stuff as well. It was really cool to have a doctor who's on board, but he's retired, sadly. So I'll have to find another one who's on board, but I'm sure there's someone, someone else in Dunedin. But yeah.
0: Oh, no doubt. No doubt there will be somebody in Dunedin for sure. And I think doctors are getting more on board. I certainly don't think it's mainstream either here on Australia or New Zealand yet. But people aren't as shocked when you say it or when you talk about it now because they've heard about it or they've known somebody that's done it or that sort of thing. So it's not a big deal to them anymore. Whereas, you know, I remember five years ago, there were so many people, including my mates, who had a weight loss intervention in, in the middle of a pub on Melbourne Cup Day here. And, you know, they were just sort of saying, you can't do this, you're losing too much weight, you know, and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, know, I mean, there was a lot more kickback, I think, a few years ago to what there is now. And there's more sort of talk about it, more education. Doctors aren't shocked. I mean, my doctors are on board. They recommend intermittent fasting to other people now, you know, that telling people to go and buy my book, The Fasting Highway, all those sorts of things. So I think that has been great. But all we can do is hope that it's going to change for the future. But speaking of the future, I mean we talk about the non-scale victories and the health benefits Abby. I mean obviously have you seen things like when you first started the mental clarity, the energy, all those sorts of things we talk about and how you sort of we talked about your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself and going into those clothes shop buying up the ski clothes to go skiing. It's just all so freeing, isn't it? And the NSVs they just keep stacking up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for me I, I just the, the biggest one is that I'm never tired I don't ever I don't ever have a crash in the morning and feel like I need 700 coffees or I'm yeah like I like I, it's not like I don't just wake up for the day and I used to find that all the time that I could just be groggy for the whole day kind of doesn't matter how how much I've slept or how much coffee I've had or anything and so always having energy was really nice but I think for me probably the 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 biggest non-scale victory is actually I'm not hungry and I remember being going through the day just always being constantly in a state of I'm hungry, what can I have at morning tea? What can I have for lunch? What can I do for afternoon tea? I need to go to the supermarket and sure maybe the first few weeks of intermittent fasting you go oh oh, yeah I could eat, a bit peckish but you're actually not and you just realise that that's more of a habit than anything else and now I've learned how to recognise what actual hunger is and like pushing through like if you get that first bout of like, oh I'm hungry. And if it doesn't go away after half an hour, you're like, I probably should eat something. But um yeah, just that that one is a massive thing because for us, like not thinking about food and not having to plan your whole day around food, it just gives you so much more free time. Like that's that's a massive one for us. Like we don't have to spend time cooking lunch. We don't have to buy food for that. Like, don't have to plan when I'm going to eat before X, Y, and Z, or don't have to plan my meetings around making sure that I have time to eat. And uh, yeah, it's just the the free time is absolutely an underrated and under-discussed non-scale victory of fasting for me. But I yeah. mean, there's a bunch of stuff that come with it. So yeah.
0: I guess, uh, Hannah, your shopping trips for groceries um, with your sister there must be interesting now, or pretty quick trips as well.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah definitely enjoy the supermarket trips we um definitely always focus on getting down the vegetable vegetable section and making sure we're getting enough of that and then yeah always restocking on nuts always restocking on eggs and tuna (laughs) um but yeah and it's quite good and like um even though we kind of live in a flatting situation like we sort of eat all the same things so it's quite, it makes it kind of quite easy to shop for that. Like if if one of us goes to the supermarket, we know what the other person probably needs. So yeah, that's quite, yeah, it's quite good actually.
0: I remember Amanda Tiffin talking about perimeter shopping. That's where I first got it from, about going to the supermarket and shopping around the perimeter. So going through the fruit and veg aisle, going to the meat section, going to the dairy section and keeping out of those aisles. And if you're a person like me, that was a chronic sugar addict that can really help. They almost cut down by 70, 80% straight away by not going down the aisles because that's when the damage is done. And the more food you buy, that's not in a packaged form, particularly if you have struggles with sugar. And so for you, Hannah, when your sort of weight got up to there, do you think you were a person that had a a real issue with sugar?
2: Yeah, I I think I was. Um, Yeah. And like, I think that probably was one of the biggest reasons that my weight did get so high is because- Yeah, I I definitely felt like I needed sugar and I always wanted sugar. And for me personally as well, I think I am an emotional eater. And so if I'm sad or if I'm stressed, um, I do sort of turn to food for that. And um, yeah, over the last few years, like before intermittent fasting as well, like if I was turning to food, it was going to be straight to something that was sugary or even high carbs. Um, Yeah, and so since I have started intermittent fasting... I think I do still have a bit of a thing with sugar that I need to work on. That is still a challenge for me. But what I am finding is that if I am eating, it's not just straight to the sugar stuff anymore. Like I am still thinking about like, okay, if I do feel like I need to eat now, like I just try and make sure it's got something that's got nutrition in it. Like if it's something that's like not too carb based, it's got some protein and stuff, but yeah, that's, that's been one of the biggest struggles for me. And, um, yeah, something I, I don't have all the answers to yet, but I'm going to work on as well.
1: And but yeah, part part of that as well with us is that we're not total health nuts, and we 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 haven't cut out sugar because it's just not who we are at, at at this time in our lives. But it's really nice to be able to understand what it looks like and have that sugar in moderation, and knowing that it's knowing that it's not the end of the world because yes, we eat a really balanced diet, but we are only babies in our twenties and it's nice to just be able to go and go out and have a wee cake or do something do something nice. It's just all in moderation mm. so long as we find that we're eating our proteins and our good fats and all of that fun stuff. That it's actually A OK to have a wee happy hippo after dinner.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean life's to be enjoyed and it's to be lived, isn't it? I mean, you know, I was a problem that was a chronic sugar addict, so it was a problem for me. It's like an alcoholic having a problem with alcohol, right? So, you know, I got it out of my system. I went through the withdrawal, all that sort of thing. But I think, you know, if my daughter was getting married tomorrow and she said, hey, dad, would you like some wedding cake? I'm going to have the wedding cake. Absolutely. You know, it's that's the sort of thing. That's the difference now. I know the difference between moderation and addiction. I don't let sugar control my life. And in fact, for our Patreon members of this podcast, we're having a sugar webinar where we're going to go through all the steps that we can take to help us get sugar, not absolutely out of our lives, but as out of our lives as much as possible because it's a better life without it. I feel that my life is enhanced by it. And I think most people that have lost a lot of weight and have taken it out of their life, they just never want to go back to it. So if you're keen on that, sign up at the patreon.com uh, forward slash the fasting highway. Uh, and we'd love to have you along and um, everybody out there listening that may be struggling with sugar. But we're getting to the end of the podcast now, Abby. So if you're sitting there in a lovely cafe in Dunedin, you're talking to some fellow workers or some friends there, and they said, Hey, Abby, you look absolutely amazing. How do we get going with this intermittent fasting? What are we going to do?
1: I would say absolutely, let's do it. Start start with where you're comfortable with. If you're someone that doesn't that already doesn't eat breakfast, that makes it easier. But if you do eat breakfast already, just start by cutting that out, even if you start eating at 10am or 11am but just start slowly and build it up it's it's not a sprint it's a marathon and it does take a long time to to get to where you want to be but from from my end I remember when I first started and it was amazing seeing those first few kilos come off and then obviously the progress got a little bit slower as we went on but yeah, I just want to would say to the people like just keep at it and, and talk about it with people, talk about drinking water and drinking black coffee and find a buddy who is willing to do something with you, even if it's just um, yeah, going, going for a walk instead of going to buy something, even if that friend is still eating lunch kind of thing. But one of the, one of the things for me with, with the whole it's a marathon, not a sprint is when Hannah first joined and I, had, I was already doing OMAD. And Hannah started doing 16.8. I was really jealous because Hannah was losing a lot of weight, but she was doing 16.8 and I was doing 24 or 21.3. And I was like, why is she losing all this weight? And she's only doing 16.8 But I had just forgotten that at the start it looks different to everybody else. But in summary, just just keep at it. Like I I kept at it. So I started with probably 18.6, 24 now I do 23-1 most of the time and then depending on how I'm feeling I'll do a modified ADF day where I just have 500 calories or less and then yeah but it's it's all fun and games and probably the other piece of advice would just be that it's okay to be relaxed about it it's a lifestyle it's not yeah, it's a lifestyle. It's not a diet. Make it fit around you. It's absolutely okay to have, have an eating day or having, have an eating weekend or go for brunch with your best friend because you can't cut, cut all that stuff out forever. So yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying it.
0: There you go. Hannah, what about you? What sort of advice would you give somebody if they were looking to you to get started?
1: Yeah, so pretty
2: similar. I would just say, um just start with what you feel like you can manage. So for me, it was just not eating breakfast and you just start there and then over time it naturally progresses like don't worry about trying to go really hard really fast just start with that breakfast and it'll be good and yeah and especially uh if you're a coffee person um embrace black coffee um I was so scared of black coffee but now I love it and I just love how useful it is in intermittent fasting and but yeah, just, just start where you're comfortable and then it'll build over time and just just have faith, just keep doing it. And even if you only lose a little bit of weight one week, that's still a little bit closer towards your goals. And even if it feels like it's going to take forever, um, you know, you will actually get there eventually. And I look back now over like three years ago and I was dreaming of where I am now. And yeah, yeah, definitely you'll get there, but just, yeah, start small.
0: And yeah. It's that visualization, isn't it? Of thinking, you know, where am I going to be in two years time? Where do I want to be with my health? And I can't tell you how proud I am of both of you as a fellow New Zealander, that you've taken stock of your health in your twenties. I'm so proud of you. I could pop. It's just amazing because I know what a life you're going to have ahead of you. That's not burdened by the chains of excess weight or obesity. And it's going to be so much more better for you. And I both want you to come back on the podcast in six and twelve months' time because we'd love to hear from you we may have may even get the other two fabulous sisters in Wellington um, Katie Miller and her sister. they are incredible and so the four of you could get together on the same podcast and I think that'd be really great to show people that you know you can do it with siblings and without fighting and arguing with each other all the time you know and obviously you two get on pretty well but And I think it's an amazing example to the rest of your family and to all your colleagues and everybody that knows you. So thank you both for joining me here today on the fasting highway.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Graham. Um, Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for all the work you do getting this information out there. It's it's so valuable and you're yeah, so appreciated. Thank it's you. It's changed our lives.
1: It, yeah. it really has. Um, just want to absolutely say thank you for showing us this lifestyle because that's exactly what it is. But under no circumstances would be called as a diet.
0: <laughs> oh, you're gonna make me cry in a minute, I tell you. But anyway, ladies, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You're super inspiring people, and I cannot look. I cannot wait. I should say to see the next chapter unfold for you both. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank
2: Thank you.
1: You You too. Bye.
0: Oh, big thank you to you both, Hannah and Abby. That was amazing. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I've got to tell you, you had me choking up towards the finish there. Because I'm just so proud of you, not only as a fellow New Zealander, but also the fact that you've taken stock of your health at such a young age, and you've recognized that you've had to do that, you've done something about it, and you're truly on the road to success. And everything you shared on that podcast was just so uplifting and motivating. And I know anybody out there, whether they're young or whether they're middle-aged or whether they're older, they're going to take something from that. So thank you for sharing that wonderful story. And we look forward to catching up with you both in the future. Also, folks, as you heard about in the podcast here, uh, this podcast is brought to us by our Patreon community. There's a lot of benefits of joining the Patreon community, uh, giving us some support here at the Fasting Highway to be able to bring these stories to you. Uh, Well, into the future, but we need your support to do that. You'll also get back some benefits. There'll be some extra webinars and podcast episodes, as well as there'll be some topics coming up and things like breaking free from sugar. Uh, We've got one coming up next week on weight loss and regain. Uh, Also, we have a monthly coffee meet, social online Zoom meeting uh, where people from the Patreon community can talk to each other. Uh, We can come and chat about our trials and tribulations with our journeys. Uh, so look out for that. But the links there in the show notes, www.patreon.com forward slash Fasting Highway. And you can join our community from as little as 17 cents a day. And we'd really appreciate your support to be able to bring these podcasts to you. Anyway, folks, until next week, be well, be safe. And remember, clean fasting is everlasting.